Hi everyone, this is Enrico from Data Stories together with Moritz again. Hi Moritz. Hello. How are you? Good, good, good. Bit jet lagged. I just came back from Texas. Ah, from Austin. I'm jealous. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How was it? was good. I was at uh, South by Southwest. It's a really huge conference. Uh, lots of speakers, lots of tracks, lots of things, interactive music, movies. Al Gore was there. Wow. Stephen Wolfram gave a keynote, so wow. big thing. Yeah, uh, please nice. tell me you had some German weather. Yeah, very German uh, spring weather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I could wear my German T-shirts. <laughs> no, it was, it was quite nice to have some sun finally. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for today we decided to have a um, sort of composite program. <laughs> we have a first section where we will try to answer some of the questions that we received from, from the listeners. Not all of them, of, cor of course, but we have a selection. And then the main topic of the episode will be uh, what makes a good, a good visualization and how can we measure it? And by the way, can we measure it? Mm -hmm. And um, I think we can directly start with the questions. Maybe, um, Moritz, you want to start? Sure. So... Um for the first question, I mean, we, we had really a lot of questions. It was really great, but we can see how many we can answer. Uh, one was quite interesting from Zach, um, talking about the, the different competitions. And um, he said, uh, or he asked if we spent much time looking at the terms and conditions. And so he looked at that Nielsen contest that was recently launched. And uh, there they say, by accepting a prize, each winner agrees that his or her entry will be deemed a work made for hire under the copyright law of the United States. The winner hereby waives in favor of sponsor all rights of droit moral. Is it or is that droit? Droit. Droit moral. <laughs> or um, moral rights of authors or any similar rights or principles of law that under his entry. Have you found this to be common practice? It makes me want to run and hide from this contest. How does it make you feel? How does it make us feel? Bad, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. It's is, awful. Is that's, it, that's really awful terms and conditions. I it, mean, yeah. Is it common practice? Uh, I mean, some in some way, yes, because whenever you run a platform or a contest, you need some rights on the work because otherwise you couldn't show it on your website, right? So you will, as a platform uh, owner or, or somebody who runs a contest, you will always want to have that right to redistribute the work, you know, or copy the work. But what they're asking for here is to, to waive all copyrights in favor of them. And that's really the worst case for, uh, you know, if you have, uh, you're a creator and you don't receive money for your work, but still you have to waive all your rights. I mean, that's that's really um, uh, not a very friendly practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no really, it, and it's something to watch out for. He's absolutely right. We, I, I didn't look there exactly, and if you read these clauses, these extreme clauses in the in the terms, I would not take part really. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else we have, Moritz? Uh, second one is, you mentioned it, that it would be great also by SAC to have more interaction and collaboration between practitioners and academics in this field. Any thoughts on how these types of relationships can be initiated? Uh, that's Short a of a match.com for DataWiz? <laughs> that's a good one for me. Can yeah. I answer to this? 
Yes, please. Um, <laughs> no, Why not? <laughs> I like this one because um, so one one reason behind my having my blog fell in love with data was exactly because I thought there was a big divide between between practitioners and academics. And I think that both parties have to gain if we find ways to make these people, let these people uh, meet or discuss, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, from the one end, I think that practitioners might not know what happens or what happened in the past in um, academia. And there is the risk, there is always the risk that they will reinvent the wheel. And I have seen that many times. Sure. But yeah, at, yeah. And at the same time, I also know that my fellow academics, some of them don't have any idea about what is happening uh, out of the lab. And my feeling is that some of them don't know how many talented people in industry or just in, in the design world are creating visualizations that are really stunning. I mean, mm -hmm. some, some things I see are really, really, really stunning. And some of them have a quality that I've never seen in, in the... In, in the labs, okay? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, how can we initiate that? I think uh, the best way is to let these people meet. They have to know each other. And uh, probably the best way is to try to invite, if we have um, conferences that are more, where the participants are more from the area of industry or design, let some acad acad academics um, participate and the other way around. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Um, so, for instance, we have the This Week conference that is an academic conference, mm -hmm. and I'm always pushing for having more people from industry or designers coming to this conference. Of course, it's not easy, but this could be a first step. And mm -hmm. we also have other conferences like the C Plus conference, which is uh, another occasion to let people. Um, to invite academics into an environment where normally designers and practitioners uh, belong to, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the C plus is interesting. It will be uh, end of April in Wiesbaden in Germany. So if you're based in Europe, that that should really be interesting. So there's on Saturday there's the conference organized by Scholz and Volkmer, and this year I know there will be Manuel Lima and uh, Stephanie Posavich and a few other great speakers. And on Sunday, there's always an event where we have a few behind-the-scenes talks. And uh, last year, that was organized by Andrew Vandemöre, Benjamin Wiederkehr and me. And this year, we will have even even more people around. And um, so if you're, if you're based in Europe, that, that should surely be interesting. And hopefully, also a good contribution to bringing the worlds together <laughs> a bit. Yeah. And in my experience, you're right. It's always the, the smaller meetups where you can talk informally, where, where you exchange like your way of working, your what you find important uh, in, in a smaler group. This is where the actual demystifying of these yeah. two yeah. worlds happens, you know. Yeah. 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 Then, sure. then you suddenly realize it's not that different. Yeah. Or at least it's interesting what the other one is doing. <laughs> or maybe it's very different. <laughs> yeah, or it's, too, or it's too different. That's fine too. I mean, yeah, but at yeah. least you understand a bit better. Yeah, the, from difference we learn, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, can we move on to the next one? So yeah, we, have a, we have a question from Rio and he or she asks, I don't know. That's a good good question. Good yeah, question. Uh, mm -hmm. Let us know, Rio. Um, <laughs> He asks, um, how do we look at our work objectively and critically, probably because of looking at it so long or being attached to their own work? What do you do? What do we do? 
to look yeah, at our work objectively? Yeah, it's a good question because if you work on something too long, of course, um, you you might be biased or you have you might have problem like having a fresh look at something that is so familiar to you and that you created yourself. And um, um, my trick here is to not invest too much work on one track you know, and one work and, and put all of my effort into that, but work on a few alternatives in parallel, because then you have a much easier decision instead of having to say, is this one thing good, very good or bad, then you just need to decide, do I like alternative A better or B better? And if you do that all the time, hopefully the outcome will be quite good. You know, that's the idea behind it. And so this is my tip is not to invest too much work into one single design, but rather invest the same amount of work into three and uh, in the beginning and then decide what you roll with, because this is the, this is probably the best way to, to, to not fall in love too much with one thing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. be open also. Also design is a lot about um, leaving stuff out or also deciding against something, you know, you yeah, cannot sure. include everything in your final design. And so, um, practicing this throwing away stuff or saying no to stuff, um, it's an important skill. And the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. Yeah, 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 sure. This reminds me, I think you wrote a chapter in the book, um, beautiful visualization, where mm-hmm. you describe what's the process behind creating a visualization. Mm-hmm. And in the chapter, there is a clear understanding of how you start with an initial design and then you discard it. And I think this is pretty common in visualization design. I experience it all the time. But uh, my feeling is that you cannot see it if you just surf the web and and, and see what visualizations people, people create because they yeah. just don't explain what's the process behind. But there is normally a very long process and it's a sort of, um, I don't know, yeah. You go through yeah, lots of trials, point. right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we can link to the chapter. I think maybe maybe it's a good good yeah. read. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Second, he asks, or she, it uh, it would be interesting to hear if you guys criticize each other's work and go a bit outside the comfort zone. <laughs> oh, that's easy. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. we have to mention all the eye candy that you produce? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your boring academic explorations. <laughs> <laughs> is that enough i think we should do a whole episode like that right oh yeah interesting idea yeah. That, that would yeah, be fun stuff, yeah now but the the truth is we don't criticize each other's work <laughs> <laughs> but probably we, we should do. we do <laughs> probably we should yeah. no but we haven't really like collaborated in detail on a project where we'd, where we would say now show me your design and i criticize it also <laughs> we, we, ha- we haven't done it that that way so yeah could be interesting yeah yeah um, so we have another one from the from Chuck the Nerd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. You, Chuck you the asked Nerd for pearl pearl <laughs> tricks, probably. <laughs> so, any words of wisdom on how to slowly, cheaply introduce business people to the benefits, costs of looking beyond Excel for data visualization? Oh, mm-hmm. that's for you, Moritz. Uh, oh, I'm not so sure, actually. It's it's a, I mean, it's a good question, but actually I'm not that great at convincing business people, you know? it's For me, it's more like I work more with people that already, uh, let's say, have seen the light <laughs> and, <laughs> and are interested in the type of thing. So 
Um, I know probably it, it can be tough in a bigger organization or in a more conservative, let's say, surrounding to, to convince people. But I mean, ideally, you have a really striking example that relates to their practice. So it's not just something about, you know, soccer or wine or something, whatever, but really something where they can immediately see how that would make a difference in their daily practice. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or ideally, you have a success story. I mean, often that's the the best case where you say, "Listen, here we had that design, and the effect of that was like thirty percent more revenues." You know, if yeah, you yeah. can, if you can construct such a story, that's, um, or if you have proof of such a story, sort of. That's of course the best thing. But no, usually you don't have that yet because yeah, you're just getting started or so. Um, As I said, the, the most important thing is really to have something where they immediately see the value personally. Yeah, you know? yeah. Not just some theoretical value, but you need probably then an example of where it really yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe, yeah. Chuck, you can, if you are listening to us, you can give a look to the blog called Excel Charts, mm -hmm. written by George Camus. And uh, I think he wrote extensively about how to convince these people. And I think he's a little bit, I don't know, at some, time, at some point he, he gave up a little bit. As yeah. far as I understand, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not too, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I, think, I think he says that at some point you have to be ready to bend the rules and, let, mm -hmm. and do for them what they want. Yeah, which yeah. is how old. Yeah, a huge topic. How much you are ready to bend the rules and whether it's a good practice. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that deserves yeah. another whole episode. I think. That's another whole <laughs> yeah. podcast. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so shall we move on to the news section? There, yeah. there have been quite some nice developments this week. Yeah, so sure. yeah. Uh, first one is visualizing sprint. I found that really exciting. That's a, a whole new way of collaborating online. Uh, On visualizations, have you seen it, Enrico? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. really liked it. Yeah, and uh, it's and I'm I'm really glad we can say something positive now about this new idea coming from visualizing.org since we <laughs> exactly. criticized a little bit them <laughs> yeah, during yeah. our last pod podcast. That's true. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a very nice concept. So basically, if I understand well, the idea is that there is a person who comes up with a first design mm -hmm. and publishes it on visualizing.org and then exactly. it is possible for everyone to create new branches of this design mm -hmm. and uh, design on top of what is there, right? Extend it, modify it, anything you would do uh, with uh, source code in a, in a shared repository. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the nice thing is you can always also see the state of the design, you know, in a, in a preview window. So it's not just the code and you have to download it and run it, but you see immediately what has changed since my last visit or you can click through the tree of the different variations and variants that were produced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is voting on versions, so people can say, I like this version, or I don't like that one. Yeah. So you can also be involved with comments and votes, even if you don't program. And it's a it's a really it's a neat concept in a way. You, it's one of these concepts where you wonder why it hasn't been around all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah. So and that usually uh, means it's a good idea. Yeah, so sure. uh, and now they start with uh, some statistics on on global water quality. Yep. And um, but in principle, you can you can do that for any topic. I think it's it's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I liked it too. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, then we have what? We have this new nice library that is called uh, Cartograph from yeah, Gregory Yeah, that's amazing. Eich. It's amazing. I, yeah. I, I didn't have time to look into details. Did you? <laughs> I mean, a bit, from, a bit. Yeah, my yeah. first impression is that it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and it covers <laughs> a clear gap. So do you yeah, want to describe yeah. what it is, Moritz, since you saw it more in details? Sure. So it's it was written by Gregor Eich, uh, who we both know quite well. And um, so he's uh, driven by data on Twitter. And he was frustrated with, if you want to do maps online, what you're stuck with, it's always the, let's say, the Google Maps approach. You have a lot of tiles and a Mercator projection, right? Yeah. And he... He rightly said, there's so much you can do in mapping and especially for world maps, this projection is really awful, you know. And um, and also if you have more zoomed in views, it, there's many things, or oftentimes you wish you were much more flexible in how your map looks and how it is projected and how you work with the different map elements as well, like the country borders, uh, you know, or county borders, the regions and, and the streets and whatever. And so what he did is provide this framework cartograph. It's very in its early stages, but he can demonstrate already how it works and that it works really well. And what you do there is first in Python, you render a vector-based map based on existing uh, files, of course. And you export that sort of to the web. And then on the web, you, you can view it uh, in SVG or also it works in older Internet Explorer versions because it uses Raphael.js for rendering. And then you can add like interactive features so you can overlay on the map maybe some dots indicating stuff or some bars or whatever. And so it, it has these two components, like the web viewer and the Python-based map generator. And I think that makes it really interesting, for example, for news uh, uh, outlets. Because, for instance, if you have an article about South Europe, you can render a map really focused on South Europe and uh, add some data points there. And it, it will be this really high-end and customized version of of a map you, you need exactly for your purpose. And as it's vector-based, you can also print it nicely. So I think he's, he's really filling a gap there. And uh, it's exciting to see uh, frameworks like this develop. Yeah. It always amazes me how some people can create these open frameworks and basically donate their time and work. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so, and it's it's so much work to get something so to run work. in general, you know, to have one demo up, it's easy. But to have like a framework running, it's a lot of work. And so I also really appreciate that. Yeah, and, and, the, and the website itself is so well crafted already. I mean, it's yeah, really amazing. He, he does a great job, definitely. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, check it out, get involved maybe. Or if you have, let's say, a project where it might fit, I think his idea is, of, uh, is also to finance further developments by having it been used in projects and use that to develop it further. So if you have a project where it might fit, uh, I think he's very open to collaborations. I think now we should ask a fee to Gregor, right? <laughs> exactly. 5% <laughs> commission 5 fee. 5% commission. <laughs> okay. Everybody has to get along somehow. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have kids. <laughs> <laughs> to feed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Moritz, do you want to briefly tell us something about your panel at South by Southwest? 
Sure, sure. Um, um, it was called Intent and Impact. So um, Benjamin Wiederkehr from Data Visualization CH or Interactive Things, that's his agency, he, he thought that out. And um, basically it was about, okay, we all do visualization, but ultimately why do we do it and what's the effect of it? And can we measure that effect, you know? And, mm -hmm. And can we maybe be more precise about our intentions with the whole thing, about the purpose of visualizations and have we reached that goal in individual projects or not? And I think that's a very worthwhile um, thing to do, uh, to think about that. I have to admit, I mean, I do some evaluations, but probably I could improve quite a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and there was, for instance, there's one project I'm working on, the OECD Better Life Index, and there we now actually analyze a lot what people are doing on the site and okay, which buttons yeah. they are clicking and and you know we have all these different dimensions there with like health and life satisfaction and safety and what oh, have you really and we are looking into like which user groups find which things most important also from the content point of view okay and so i reported a bit on this practice of having on the one hand, both the, the original data set, change your mind, you know, Hans Rosling says that, have your data set, change your mindset. Yeah, yeah. But how at after launch, after you have produced it, you should then also, let's see, let's say, watch um, how people use it and have that change your mindset as well. Yeah, be it sure, for sure. a new iteration sure. of the visualization or be it for um, simply the next one where you do something similar. Just or just to keep learning, you know. So there, there's a lot to be learned once things are out in the wild, and so um, I reported a bit on on these things. So this is a, a lot also related to to the main topic of our um, podcast today. What, what makes a good infobiz? Can we measure it? How can we measure it if we can? I mean, that also ties quite a lot to the contest question we we asked last time, right? So if you're in the jury of a contest. Yeah, how do you evaluate who, who a visualization? Who should be the winner? Exactly. I mean, that's exactly the central question. What is a good visualization? What isn't? Uh, yeah. How is it in academia, Enrico? What, what, who gets to present at conferences with their paper? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, how do you know what's good? Of course, in academia, we are somewhat obliged to evaluate whatever we do. So every time we write a new research article, we have to have a strategy to evaluate whatever we propose and convince the reviewers uh -huh. that what we propose is valid and true, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. there are some traditional ways of evaluating visualization. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the most common is by argumentation. So basically, you try to convince people that what you propose uh, just works by argumentation and giving use cases with interesting data sets and showing that it works and it addresses the problem that you raised at the beginning of your of your paper okay mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. was quite common at the beginning so during during the 90s for instance then some people started saying yeah but this should be done more formally and um there are many people in the community that actually come more from the HCI community. So mm -hmm. they started evaluating visualization using the means that come from HCI. So the traditional, the most traditional mean is controlled experiments, where yeah. basically you have different versions of um, a given visualization mm -hmm. with some variations, and you let uh, 
a number of participants run some predefined tasks, and then you measure for in some some metrics like, for instance, how much time it takes to perform this task or how many errors mm -hmm. are made. Uh, using these visualizations and so on, and then you compare them formally using some statistics and showing that I don't know visualization technique A is better than B in this case because it's faster and produces less error. Okay, mm. but uh, I mean that only works obviously when you have a concrete task, right? yeah, so, yeah, like or like a concrete thing you can measure i mean it's then it's more like if visualization is a hammer you hammer like how many nails you get into yeah, <laughs> a board exactly. at a time you know it's like exactly this is why yeah. many people in the field uh, during the last few years um voiced their they were not satisfied with mm -hmm. this with this methodology especially mm -hmm. I, I think the main reason is the one that you mentioned because basically in visualization you cannot really come up with predefined tasks. And not necessarily something that is faster or with less error is necessarily leading to better outcomes in visualization. Mm. So what yeah. is really important is to reason about what's the purpose of visualization first. Mm. And visualization doesn't have one single purpose. You can have many purposes, okay? So it's, it's pretty much complicated. Um, so what, exactly, hap yeah. what, what mm -hmm. happened in academia is that um, some people started investigating visualization in terms of their ability to generate insights. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the biggest achievements during the last years. Mm -hmm. So the idea is visualization, the purpose of visualization is to generate new insights, which mm -hmm. I think you can also call discoveries. And let's exactly, measure yeah. mm -hmm. whether, so if you want to compare visualization A with visualization B, why don't we measure the number and quality of these insights? So there is a very, yeah, yeah. If, there is a pioneering paper from Chris North um, from the University of, I think it's from Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. if I'm I think, yeah, I think he is. And he came up with this beautiful paper uh, about comparing different uh, visualizations with the same purpose. I think mm -hmm. it was in the biological domain, if I, if I remember well. And he measured how many insights some biologists could uh, draw by using different uh, visualizations. And what but how do you do that? Does he have an inside counter sitting next to the person it, that goes click, click, It's not click, easy. Click, so click. actually, yeah, that's the problem, of course, because the more qualitatively you try to, to, to measure, let's say, a visualization, mm. the harder it gets because you go from far from the standards of controlled experiments. So exactly, there are yeah. a very large number of issues here that I'm not going to mention. But what mm -hmm. he did was, was really impressive. So basically, he took three or four different visualizations, and then he had uh, these people writing down the, the things that they could find uh, by using them. Mm -hmm. And then they had some external raters uh, giving grades to these insights, how useful they are, how important they are, what's their complexity, whether they are correct or not, and so on. And yeah, then yeah. they drew some statistics on top of them, and they could show that, for instance, one kind of visualization seems to be better in generating some kind of insights. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Very and, good. and I think this is this actually 
opens uh, uh, new directions for evaluating, evaluating visualization. And I think the most important thing is introducing the idea that visualization should be evaluated in terms of the outcome. Okay, yeah, because yeah. the traditional way it's effect is, basically. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. the traditional way is very indirect. Mm -hmm. If I tell, if I start measuring how fast, uh, how faster one visualization is with respect to another, I can come up with with, I can come up with a result that says that one is faster than another. But then I don't know if being faster actually leads to better outcomes. Yeah, so there yeah. is there is a, there is a gap there, right? I think it fits for a couple of use cases of visualization. Let's say you're Homer Simpson and you're sitting in that nuclear plant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and you have yeah, that huge course. dashboard, yeah. and then you can really make that you can construct a situation where, you know, it's really good that if the person just looks from, let's say, uh, you know, just looks and immediately sees what's up with the power plant if there's an unusual situation. And there it could be really about seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you have to acknowledge also that some effects of visualization are long-term. So you, you might want to look at people using the thing very long times. Yeah. This is often ignored in lab experiments. And the much deeper point, in my view, is that <clears throat> visualization is not just a hammer, you know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's so there are, especially today or over the last few years, there have been so many different purposes, you know, or contexts also in which visualization has been used. And all of them have to be evaluated, I think, a bit differently. Yeah. So also on the panel, we had, for instance, um, the people from JS3. And JS3, they do a lot of fun uh explanatory, entertaining infographics. And their main goal basically is just to drive conversation, to entertain people, to have a positive image for the brand they're working for, and maybe on the way transport some little factoids about a phenomenon, you know? And I mean, that's so far away from the nuclear power plant dashboard, you know? <laughs> as is, <laughs> you know, as is maybe Homer away from a manga <laughs> comic, you know, it's worlds apart, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my view, I mean, that's maybe it's, or I, I think it's a bit hard to understand what that actually means, but I'm fairly convinced that we should, should look at visualizations as cultural artifacts today, as our books, as our movies. Uh, <clears throat> as is our podcast, you know, so we always have to understand it in that context of existing culture and existing memes, existing science, yeah. and also from that storytelling point of view or what the the not-so-immediate effect of a visualization is. So. Yeah. But I think it's really important to stress this aspect of purpose. Yeah, I mean, exactly. as long as it is clear what's the the main purpose, because you can have, of course, several purposes at the same time, but if you can clarify mm. what's the main purpose of a, of a visualization, then it's much, much clearer how to design it first and how to evaluate it then, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I can, for instance, I have a, a short list of purposes that, that came into my mind. You can have a visualization whose purpose is more to learn or understand a phenomenon. You mm -hmm. can have visualization that is more targeted toward discovery, maybe with an, uh, an exploratory phase, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then you can have visualizations that are more targeted to monitoring something. And in that case, you really want to be sure that if something happens, you can see it, right? Exactly. So detection yeah. there is really, really important and you don't want to miss 
anything mm -hmm. that is important, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we have a huge set of visualizations that you can see mainly on the web or on on magazines that are more targeted toward explaining or communicating things, and in some sorry, and sometimes even to provoke some some reaction to the reader, right? Which yeah. is really important. How do you provoke a reaction? Uh, with a visualization and actually do you i mean that's really important if you are mm. designing a visualization to provoke a reaction are you sure that you're really provoking it or not <laughs> exactly yeah so the, uh, in fact that even applies for all these cases where you'd say yeah but it was just for entertainment or it was just to raise awareness or it was just for you know giving shape to that complex phenomenon so even if you say i have this more let's say softer use case even then you can still evaluate different solutions Maybe you can measure like hard facts that well, but you can still, for instance, ask 10 people about it and, and uh, you know, uh, work on their reactions to your work and so on. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Yeah, I think here the only problem is that you have to be very careful not to cross the fine line between <laughs> uh, telling the truth and deceiving people, right? So sure. uh, every time you create a visualization to provoke a reaction, of course mm. you are... Uh, proposing your own view, right? Sure, yeah. So it's it's a little bit, you have to be careful there, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's no, uh, what I wanted to say is basically, even if you're doing propaganda, you can test if you're doing good propaganda. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know? I agree, so, I agree. I totally so independent agree. of your motivation or your methodology, there's... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It sort of always applies. You just have to understand how how to how you evaluate that specific thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I must admit that this is actually what uh, what I like of the work of David McCandless. So even mm -hmm. if uh, I find I always found many ways to criticize his work in terms of the specific visualization he makes mm -hmm. and how he makes them, yeah. uh, I must confess that he's really a master in selecting wonderful topics and. Almost, I, I would say, 80% of the times I look at an image that he produces and he makes me think about an interesting topic, right? Yeah, yeah. See, and that's something too. And and this, but this is not something that would fit into traditional evaluation framework frameworks in the academic world. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think we can say that. I mean, there was one paper by Andrew Vandermeer and Helen Purchase recently. And I think they wrote really nicely on the role of design uh, in information visual visualization. And they sort of tried to develop a, or basically just um, reapply or transform traditional design frameworks um, to evaluating information visualization or framing it. And so I think that would cover a lot of what we discussed because they try to look both at the utility of a visualization as well as the soundness, let's say, if it, is it technically well done and correct? Does it display the right thing in the right manner? But also the attractiveness and the, and the lust factor, let's say. Uh, and these are old uh, design principles uh, or from architecture. You have this old motto of utilitas, firmitas and venustas. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I found that a, a really a good framework maybe to encompass also these more, let's say, subjective measures and the... The fun factor, the lust factor. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I must say that from my perspective, even if I live more into the academic world, uh, it's true that I think there is some kind of correlation between the beauty of a technique or of a system 
and uh, its uh, technical advancement and solution. I think truth uh, and beauty, Enrico. <laughs> truth and beauty. <laughs> truth I tell and you. Beauty. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the truth and beauty operator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I exactly. forgot. It. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, but there's absolutely something to it. So, but you have that in mathematics or in physics too. You're right, yeah. which are hard sciences and, you know, not concerned with colors and forms. In principle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still people talk about elegant solutions there and the sense of when you have an elegant solution, you know it when you see it, right? So it's, yeah. it's hard to come up with them. But once you have one in your hands, you know immediately, that's it. Yeah, it's great, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. good information visualization has the same thing. So that spotlight of profitability last week, you know, we yeah. both just yeah. looked at the thumbnail and yeah. we knew it's a good visualization. Yeah. You know, we yeah. knew it's good. I mean, they... It could be that in, you look closer and then you discover, oh, they messed up the scales or they messed up the data transformations or so. But um, just from the look of the image, you knew it hit exactly that sweet spot between order and chaos. So it's a very clearly structured picture. Yeah. But that's still visually exciting and that draws you in and provides you enough detail to study it, really. Yeah, yeah, so sure. it's it's structured enough to, to understand immediately the patterns and the, the big picture. Yeah. But it still allows you to investigate all the little details that make up that big picture at one time. And But for me, that's my measure of what is a good info with is this, does it immediately capture me visually? And does it exhibit exactly this, this, this great mixture of order and chaos? I think this is somewhat related to the idea of having elegant solutions, right? Yeah, yeah. I think this is true everywhere, even in, in algorithms. Mm -hmm, There are mm -hmm. elegant algorithms, right? You Absolutely. see a solution to yeah. a problem and it's just beautiful. It's yeah, so yeah. And, and normally it's very much correlated with simplicity, right? An elegant mm -hmm. solution, normally it's simple, right? It's simple, but still um, surprising. But or sophisticated still, at the it, same yeah, time. Exactly, so yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, simple and powerful is also, like tree maps. Uh, you know, it's it's a simple mechanism, but it's so powerful. So that also has a really a big appeal. And uh, yeah. Oh, we talked about edge bundling, right? So developed by Danny Holton, these, these edge bundling approaches. They are so beautiful and still useful at the same time. You immediately see how they help in understanding information better, but they're yeah. also very attractive. And yeah. And, and yeah, and that's another case. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw the, the paper from edge bundling. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a picture right in front of the paper. Yeah. And I mean, even before reading the paper, I knew it. It's perfect. It's, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it, right. You, you don't need. I mean, of course, then you want to read the details. But if you see the yeah. image, yeah, you know it's good. Uh, you exactly. know it's good. It works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm convinced. I don't need to read the paper. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. course, it's very hard to achieve this kind of yeah. things, but. But I would like happens, to rise an, happens, another see, another right? point. So we talk about a lot of a lot about the end product, right? Yeah. And but before we also said the process is so important. So I would postulate at this point that if we evaluate quality, we should also look at how the end product came about. Mm -hmm. And I would like to compare that a bit to let's say food. If you have really nice food and really high end food, uh, it is also a lot related to where the ingredients came from. If they yeah. were produced in a way that it's also morally acceptable, yeah, does, sure. does that apply to data as well? Is So we, I think we also have a politics of data we should absolutely, take care of. Absolutely. So who generated that data set? Is it okay to display this type of data? 
in general? And how did it come about? Was it stolen? Was it tracked without the user knowing? And then you have a whole chain of things happening until you come to the end product. And I think it's really important to look at the whole process to say, this is a good visualization or not. And not just look at the utility aspect in the end, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, As and, with a meal, you want it, to know exactly what happened in the kitchen, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a bit the same um, for me for data visualization. Yeah, and this reminds me, I mean, it's really important to to understand if you that visualization is just one component of a very of a larger process, right? That yeah, exactly. Yeah. That takes into account many other many other elements, especially mm -hmm. data, right? So you cannot really uh, distinguish between visualization and data. And um, what I found many times is that it doesn't matter how good your visualization is, if there is nothing really interesting in the data, mm -hmm. your visualization is crap, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really, really... Even if you technically maybe did the right thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. data visualization is not only about visualization, it's about data first. And there is yeah, so much... Yeah, but I have to add, I have to add, you could do the right thing data-wise, and you could do the right thing visualization-wise, but still, you might have solved the wrong problem for the Absolutely. for the type of guy who uses it, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's a uh, that reminds me of uh, Tamara Mansner's taxonomy. Oh, because yeah. she has this yeah. really nicely nested model of, let's say, on which levels can you fail? Like she <laughs> describes these million ways yeah, that, of how a visualization can fail. That that's the best model um, I've seen so far. I yeah, it's a really good yeah. one. And on the outer shell or the most general level, she says she talks about the main problem characterization which answers basically the question, are we building the right type of thing, right? So yeah. it's the basic idea of what we display here and what um, use cases we support. Is that the right thing for the people, you know, we want to help? Yeah? And then if you get more concrete, you can talk about data operation abstraction design. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you're computer scientists, you can do that. Yeah. Uh, basically, it just means to be used the right mappings from the domain knowledge we have. And and the things we know about the world to a computable representation, like what is what goes inside a database, right? And what can be expressed in a in a computer form, yep. sort of. And then you have the level of visual encoding and interaction design. And if you you know you if you maybe just start thinking about it, this is the level you would talk about. Like, do we use the right visual variables? Should we use circles or maybe bar charts? Uh, what can the user do? Is it the right type of interaction to support the use cases and so on? Yeah. And once you have all that fixed, um, then you can think about the algorithm design or you can think about how the algorithm design might fail. For instance, you have a great idea, you're solving the right problem with the right data, but your application keeps crashing. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> or it just takes ages. <laughs> <laughs> or it takes ages, exactly, and then it's no fun to use. So you did everything right, but you failed on that fundamental execution level. I mean, that, that happens too. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can report. <laughs> and so uh, and I think she did a great job of splitting up these, these different areas of where visualization can be excellent or can totally fail, you know? Yeah, and yeah. you have to sort of be good at all these areas at the same time in order to succeed in the end. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is also a very nice sketch for a life cycle of 
visualization design, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You start. It's not necessarily linear, of course, but you have these components in the in the process. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean. But I I would still wrap her thing. These four layers. She has this as a nested box, sort yeah, of. Yeah, she has yeah, that yeah. like a mamushka yeah, uh, type sure, of thing. Sure. But I would even put that into the bigger box of what's the cultural role of the thing you're building. Yeah, absolutely. What does it mean for the people that they use it or that they can use this type of thing? And, you know, what does that change in the world? I think that's... So she's still very task-focused or workplace-focused in her view, I think. But that's just a personal thing. Maybe I'm just too casually <laughs> motivated. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, but I think as far as I know, the... I think you have to understand that the model has been built with having some specific kind of use of visualization in mind. Yeah, exactly. That's where we are at the beginning again. It's it's more this serious stuff, right? Yeah, I think I think <laughs> Tamara's target is more what she calls uh, design studies, which is mm -hmm. basically having a, a problem that comes from some kind of domain expert and trying to come up with a fully interactive visualization that solve, solves this problem. Solves this okay? problem, exactly, yeah. So I think yeah. this... Yeah. And for that, it applies really well. Yeah. And even so. for 90% of the other stuff. So uh, I think it's a great model. Yeah. yeah. One thing is also interesting, there's a code of ethics for data visualization professionals. I liked yeah. it a lot because I've been <laughs> discussing it. No, I've really, I've been discussing it over the years with a few people that we should have this sort of... Uh, a sort of a dogma, you know, where we can say this visualization uh, follows the following... Uh, quality standards, you know, how the data has been treated, how the visualization has been uh, done. And apparently Jason Moore suggested a Hippocratic oath for visualization. So, you know, as <laughs> the as the doctors, uh, yeah. you know, they, they promise to do like only good things and not so many <laughs> bad things. Uh, we can now do the same. And it, it was uh, nicely presented on the Visually blog, so we can link there and you can read through it and see if it applies to your work as well or where it should be extended. Or so <laughs> I, I found it a really uh, a good idea to, to just say we have this, we have, we have a, first of all, we have a certain standard of ethics and also to verify if certain works, you know, if they I fall under I, that or not. I think it's a great idea. I think yeah. it would be nice if having this, uh, this uh, code of ethics uh, on every uh, web page or blog post of yeah, yeah, visualization yeah. designers <laughs> would be would be really nice. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah or on let's say let's have like this quality seal where and <laughs> have a little sticker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Visualization code approved. <laughs> it would be nice to design a logo, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, yeah. Nice. Great. I think we can wrap it up, basically. It's already 45 minutes again. We're talking and talking. Yeah, Man. it yeah. runs fast as usual. Wow, yeah, so much stuff. But there's so much things to talk about. Yeah. What can you do? What can you do? Yeah, anyways, um, do we have a suggestion for next time? Um, I think we were thinking about either discussing um, applications and tools yeah, details or, and platforms maybe. Platforms. There have been a few interesting launches uh, this week, so yeah, we could discuss that. Or we wanted to discuss how to learn and teach visualization. Yeah. What are the yeah. options out there? Which is also yeah. a very interesting and hot topic. That so, has been raised a lot in the comments. I think that you know, like how how the teaching works and how to best learn it. What are the best books for beginners? Where should you get started? I think that's a recurring thing. So 
Yeah. I think you guys can can vote and let us know what you prefer. Yeah. And then I think we will both we will do both episodes at one point. But <laughs> yeah. do let us know what you want to hear first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And we should bring in some guests soon. I think we are ready. Are we ready? I think we are ready. I am ready. Did yeah, you, I'm ready too. Did I'm, you, I'm totally ready. Did you talk with Al Gore? Uh, not yet, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow he was busy, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I wanted to do some interviews at South by Southwest, but it was just too much people running around all the time. So, um, yeah. Okay. But I might use the chance. Next week I go to Malefier. It's a, the World Infographic Summit. Summit. So um, mm -hmm. I might use the chance to uh, snatch some people there and record a few sound bites with um, mm -hmm. smart and entertaining uh, guests, hopefully. Did you remember to call Edward Tafti? Uh, uh, Eddie, uh, <laughs> he doesn't pick up the phone. I don't know. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't made any efforts in the meantime. I, I was busy having barbecue and yeah, drinking know, beer and t-shirts. You know, you know. Yeah, tough, tough times. <laughs> okay, okay, shall we uh, wrap it up? Yep. Sure. Yep. I'm good too. I have talked enough. I'm. I'm happy. <laughs> I think it's enough. Okay. Yes. Okay. No. To the next episode. Have a great two weeks, everyone. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. bye, -bye.